LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with my co-host, Todd Atkins. And today we are excited to talk with Steve Carter, who is a pastor, speaker, author, podcast host, and the former lead teaching pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. He hosts the Craft and Character podcast, also hosts a sports podcast called The Home Team. And on top of all this, his latest book, The Thing Beneath the Thing, is now available. Steve, great to have you on today. Guys, thanks so much for having me. Really pumped to just chop it up and talk and connect with you too. Absolutely. You know, I... All that we read in your bio, uh, the one thing I want, we'll, we'll talk about the thing beneath the thing in just a second, but the home team podcast, you know, not often we get to hear somebody who hosts a sports podcast and gets to talk, uh, you know, with different athletes and everything. Tell us a little bit about that podcast. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, like I think God is a God of props, right? And so all of these, you know, whether it's, you know, architecture or art or film, um, are just opportunities to, kind of talk about things that really, really matter. And sports is one of the easiest. I mean, you can, you can talk about rivalry. You can talk about loyalty. You can talk about something that happened in a game. You can talk about urban Meyer, you know, uh, there's, there's so many places you can go that can actually get you into a deeper conversation. Mm -hmm. And so the home team kind of began, um, actually through relevant magazine, um, with Jesse Carey, myself and, and my good friend, Sam Macho. And then we, we kind of had like a little bit of a true detective on HBO, uh, where they would basically have like the brand and then they would have a different guest or different actors on the show for different seasons. And so season two, we brought in Sam Ponder, who um, she hosts NFL countdown on ESPN. And then this last season we did Trey Burton, uh, who, you know, Philly special uh, played at <laughs> oh, Florida. Yeah. Um, he's just an amazing Super Bowl winning tight end. Great dude. Um, but it's this intersection of faith and sports culture and family and just allows us just to, to chop it up. We, we do this anyway via tech. And we just said, Hey, let's just, let's just make a podcast. And it's been really, really fun. So that's awesome. Yeah. Sports is, is definitely, there's like you said, it is a prop that you can take you into deeper conversations. So love, love how you guys are doing that. Well, one of the things we're really excited to talk to you about, we'll get to the five questions here in a minute, but you just came out with the book, the thing beneath the thing. And there is just so much happening in this world right now. We were talking even before we hit record here of just um, so many pastors, church leaders, but even just people in general, 2020 and 2021 has been just a tough period. And a lot of stuff is coming to the surface that was probably beneath the surface before. And you wrote a book called The Thing Beneath the Thing. We'd love to just hear a little bit about why you wrote that and your heart behind it. Yeah, you know, it, it really is um, my best attempt, you know, 20 years as a pastor, nobody ever just kind of walked in my office and said, today's the day, Steve. Today's the day that I sabotage my life. Today's the day I train wreck all the good that God has given to me. Today's the day I decimate my integrity um, and I do profound levels of damage to my family and collateral damage to the kingdom. But no, nobody's ever, ever does that, but somehow it happens, right? And um, I found myself wondering often, why did they say that? Or why did they do that? Or why did they tweet that? Or why did they react in that way? And if I'm really honest, like I ask myself that, like, why did I say that? Why, why did that get so underneath my skin? And Paul writes in Romans seven, you know, two sentences. And one, I think, I think worked back then, 
Um, and I like to quote scripture. I just don't think I can, I can quote this first sentence to my wife after I do something that's not very smart. Paul simply says, I do not understand what I do. So if I, if I say something that I shouldn't say, if I, if I don't fall through on a commitment, I can't just say, Hey babe, just like Paul, I do not understand <laughs> what I do. She's going to be like, Hey, start understanding, you know? And, but the next sentence is really, really beautiful. The good I want to do, I, I, I don't do, but the thing I hate, I do. And I, I think for many of us, it's, it's why do we do the things we do? And so the thing beneath the thing was my best attempt to try and help people kind of mix um, my love for the scriptures, um, a little bit of like spiritual formation and emotional intelligence counseling and to really, really help people understand that um, we, we are people who have been triggered and, and those triggers are, are deeply connected to pains and trauma and wounds. And for many of us pastors, we got a whole bunch of them. We got a whole bunch of them from our past. And then people say something or they act in some way or they, they leave our church or they, they don't fall through on a commitment or um, they post something or they, they resign and go somewhere else. And like it, it gets under our skin. And for many of us, we're going to go somewhere with that. And I realized that in my 20 years of ministry, just sitting with people, having the privilege to counsel people, hold space for them. That most people will go either to a hideout, some metaphorical place to escape. A lot of pastors are going to insecurity and say powering down, like start almost these old tapes of shame or powering up because they're losing control and they're like trying to regain it or they make villains and they create these false narratives about other people. Um, but I, but I found that the healthiest people when they get triggered, don't see it as permission to escape. They see it as an invitation to be courageously curious and invite what Wesley would call sanctifying grace. And that's just that process that makes us whole and holy and spiritually healthy. So it's my best bet and chance to try and talk about what's really going on, but also try to remind people that sanctification really, really matters. And it's almost become this archaic forgotten word um, in the church today. And I just, in my best, best attempt to try and reclaim the beauty of what that word really is all about. Mm. You know, um, though you use the word triggered and everybody has kind of their preconceived notion of what that means, like how they would define it, but how you define it, I think is really interesting because, um, when we think triggered, uh, at least I do, I think of a reaction that is, you know, an overreaction, um, to something it's, it's kind of, you know, this is just a straw that broke the, the camel's back and I'm triggered, so to speak. But the interesting thing, the, the way that you're uh, using it, I think it really makes me think about, again, the thing beneath the thing is just a, it's just a, a symptom of what the real problem is. So how can, so I wouldn't say that I'm triggered very often. Uh, I do have four children. So occasionally <laughs> last night, uh, someone almost broke the door off the pantry and yes, I, uh, my wife was in on, on the other end of the house and said, what happened? Um, but yeah, so, so something like that's understandable, but, but backing up a second, how do I, how do I, um, notice, or how, how do I notice when I'm triggered? I mean, how, how do I notice those things that are underneath, um, as being triggered? Because normally I wouldn't say, Hey, that's not a, a problem I have. 
Yeah. Well, you know, my counselor would say, if you find yourself getting hysterical, it's most likely historical. So if any, if there's any, so, any moment where you find yourself getting like angry or um, overwhelmed with stress or worry or fear, it's most likely historical. You know, it, it's something happened in our past. And this, this person, this circumstance, this situation is bringing that to the surface. Um, my counselor, Jim Crest, he, he also would say like, when you react, you're just reenacting the past. And oftentimes when you find yourself getting into patterns, you're like, this is how I typically go and where I go or how I think or what I think about myself or what um, and how I villainize another person that's coming from somewhere that 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 is all um, when I when I find myself just going, gosh, is this person mad at me? That's, that's, that's me being triggered. And, I, and I'm, I'm starting to get into a loop or an older tape, um, or I'm creating a villain. That's because I got triggered. So part of me is, is finding those spaces where I'm realizing I'm not seeing someone as God sees them or Christ sees them. Um, or I'm choosing to not actually be emotionally honest, but trying to escape. And again, we have socially acceptable ways we escape. You know, we can go binge watch an entire season on Netflix, or we can go rack up credit card debt and we can buy stuff that we, we don't have money to afford, or we, we use food. It's all these things that we use. And it's, it's like a golden calf for us. We're just transferring our kind of anxiety or worry or triggered feelings onto that, hoping that that thing will tell us you're okay. And, and honestly, like I've done that with work. And so, so the, so the, so the ways in which you start to, to, to begin to see this going, gosh, I, I'm using work to, to, to tell me I'm okay. Um, and basically that's, if you go back to my childhood, I could control, um, my, the love that I received by my performance and output, whether on the basketball court, whether in the classroom, whether, you know, in certain leadership spaces. And so when things get a little nuts or crazy or anxious, I would jump to work. So again, it's, it's just beginning to go, where are the places that I'm going or escaping the stories I'm telling about myself or others as an escape? It's like, I've given myself permission instead of leaning into God, leaning into grace, leaning into the cross, actually believing and opening myself up to, to that sanctifying grace. Um, so that's, that's some of the stuff I, I constantly will, will try and work with specific leaders to go, okay, that, that reaction, that didn't feel like you. So what was going on there? And it usually comes back to some moment when I was eight, some moment when I was 12, some moment when, you know, 16, some moment when I failed. Um, but it's all of that stuff um, that I think we, we're being triggered uh, on the regular. Some people just have better tools to handle it. Hmm. Well, Steve, there's so much in that book and I'm sure it'll come up as we continue on in the podcast. So let's hop in here to the five questions. And the first one is this is, who are you currently learning from right now? Yeah. You know, it, what's, what's kind of cool is, um, you know, when Collier, he, when he did the biography on Eugene Peterson, you know, he, he kind of really, I think, um, brought to, to light the, how Eugene really believed that the geography shaped your theology. And, you know, three years ago I was living in Chicago, um, obviously serving at, um, a church there that I loved and the people that I loved and kind of walked through a really, really difficult season. And it felt like God said, go to the desert and wait for instructions. 
And so, um, I didn't think it was literal, um, but my wife's from Arizona. And so we ended up moving to Arizona Mm -hmm. and I found myself just reading the desert mothers and desert fathers and just trying to, to really get connected. Cause I think in me, there was a lot of, um, how to achieve, but not very much how to grieve. And so a lot of the last couple of years has been almost this, this stripping away, um, this learning, relearning and unlearning. And it's been through a lot of, you know, these kind of classic desert mothers and fathers, um, a lot of the spiritual formation writers. Um, and so there's, there's been, um, that obviously you had Dallas Willard in there, Thomas Merton, it's been a lot when it's come to, to grace. And, um, I just have like, I feel like stacks of books that I've been just going back, um, and reading a lot of the, the greats, uh, for me, in my opinion. And so that's kind of what I've been learning. And then, and then the second thing, just from people been trying to put myself in some situations with other pastors and, you know, Chandler, like we were part of young guns and just trying to be around a group of pastors who were like, we want to finish well, or the 10, 10 project with, you know, uh, Josh Turner and Tyler Reagan. We're just trying to almost have these cohorts of, of pastors who finish the race well. And so that's just been kind of the, the real dream is how to get around guys who are committed and recognize that every weekend we're one weekend closer to finishing well. You know, Steve, I, I uh, appreciate you sharing a little bit of stepping away from Chicago to go, you know, you're go to the desert and you're like, okay, that's, that's figurative. Right. And then all of a sudden you're in Arizona now <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm actually here. Um, so three years, you, you know, you stepped away from Willow Creek and you're mentioning, man, I'm just learning from these desert fathers. I'm also learning from other pastors around me, um, stepping away from, uh, a pastorate at a mega church uh, and especially, uh, I know there's a lot wrapped up in the stepping away. Uh, we don't have to go into that, but just stepping away from probably where you were kind of in the spotlight, there was, it was a large church and now you are away uh, in Arizona where you're not every single Sunday, you know, preaching to a large crowd. And what is, what have you learned from that about ministry and even about your personal calling in ministry? Yeah. Well, you know, I would say a few things. One was, um, I'll never speak in a room as big as Willow on the regular. That that's at seventy two hundred people. I mean, it's like a it was an insanely amazing room. But I, you know, when I left, I left so abruptly. Um, usually, you you have time to like, you know, begin to wind down, and then you know what you're going into. What's next? This was so different. And so I didn't have time to really detox off of the lights, off of, off of just like the, um, Hey, like I know what's next. It was kind of like, because of the trauma and the difficult situation and trying to, um, do what I could to lend my voice to staying with the women. Like I, I stepped out and then it was like, I don't know what I'm doing on a Tuesday afternoon. You know, like I, 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 my life was like set up in such a structure that if you told me the day of the week and the time, I'd tell you what I was doing. And so I'll, I'll, I'll never forget. Like we, we moved to Arizona and the Home Depot guy was delivering a washer and dryer on a, on a Wednesday afternoon or Tuesday afternoon. And I, I felt all of this like anxiety within me to go like, um, you should, you should tell him like what you do. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, you know, you, you should like, because 
I was never home on a Tuesday afternoon. And I didn't want him thinking like, oh, this guy doesn't work hard. But all that stuff was like in me. And I just remember just sitting there and just like, oh man, this is, this isn't, this isn't great. Like my identity was too wrapped up in my position. I loved my job. I loved the people. I, I loved it. But I think once all of a sudden you have to be, you have to detox off of the lights and haze machine and, you know, going into a restaurant, people recognizing you and you feeling like, man, you're helping people all of that overnight gone. Wow. That, that was, and the uniqueness of the situation, that untangling, um, the desert was a real gift for me because it was character school. And it forced me to, to, to remind myself why I got into this in the first place. Um, and, and again, Willow doesn't control my calling. It didn't control my future. It didn't control like, um, it was a, it's my alma mater. Um, it taught me a ton, some that I hope to continue to, to give away and some stuff. I hope I never have to be in a situation like that, but both are true. Um, and so, so I don't know if that makes sense, but for me, it was just a lot of the, man, you look through the scriptures, God called people to places. And I think what's happened often in our churches, it's God's called people to a position and that position often creates your identity. And little by little, and just maybe one degree, two degree, five degree, 10 degree, and you feel so connected to that role. Um, and I think that's one of the pieces stepping away that I think God has really healed me from. Like, I get to do this. Not this defines me, if that makes sense. Well, even when you look at what a lot of pastors experience during COVID and some still are, it, it is interesting when you say that about the anxiety you feel and that you have to explain things. I mean, I felt that. And, and I'm sure most of the people listening that, you know, did end up working from home or that are pastors um, that has somebody show up or whatever, you, you do feel like you have to explain yourself. And so that is a great example of just taking that as an opportunity um, to like look under the surface a little bit more. Um, my question for you is, you know, a lot of us won't have this, that abrupt of a change that can allow us to kind of refocus. So you mentioned several books or you mentioned that you'd read several books from the Desert Fathers. Um, I'm reminded of uh, John Mark Comer and Ken Ball. Ken Ball, oh, I can't remember what his last book was, Unhindered Abundance or something. Like those, both of those podcasts within the last six months to a year, both mentioned Desert Fathers um, and, and kind of have a similar really balance between, Hey, this is what I can understand from psychology. This is what I can understand from scripture. And then there's this thing in the middle here. Um, these experiences that I have walking alongside some of the desert fathers through their books. So that's a very long way of asking the question. What are two or three of those books that you would say, Hey, if I can't move away to the desert, how can I walk with a few, uh, desert fathers and, and, and through these books? Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the ones I've really appreciated, um, there, uh, it's a long title. Um, uh, my phone's off. Um, but is 
one would be on Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton wrote about the Desert Fathers. That was fantastic for me. Um, another one, and again, it's not like a Desert Fathers per se. Some of them are like, you, you go through like a chapter and you're like, that's an amazing quote. That's a, you almost get lost a little bit in the, it's not like the easiest reads where John Mark Comer is a great, like, it's just a great read, you know? Um, but renovation of the heart was by Dallas Willard was really, really helpful for me again, not desert father, but like, um, but they're just, it just was like this, this chunk of books that I felt like of different characters and different desert mothers or desert fathers. Um, there was a, a Wheaton prof that put out one that I just gave me almost like a, a great background, Henry Nowen. I mean, just a lot of just these classic voices that were super, super helpful. It just, it just reading it, it was like, oh yeah. And what I realized is I think I try to escape the desert at all costs. You know, I try to bypass it. You try to go from your own personal Egypt um, to the promised land. And, um, you know, it's, Many people have said this before, but like, well, it's one thing to leave Egypt. It's another thing to have Egypt leave you. And I think some of us, we, we just don't recognize the character school, the Deuteronomy 8 reality of the stripping away, the the humility, the obedience, the the trust that um, God was trying to shape those people. And that's, that's what I feel like has happened within me in the desert. Um, but to hear these different monastic voices, desert mothers, fathers writing about their own experience and their dependency um, and kind of their rule of life and the way that they're oriented in their life. Um, it's just been, I don't know, it was just a, it was just a fresh way for me to kind of experience um, something that I wasn't really shaped and formed in, you know, growing up. Let's face it, you didn't become a pastor to be an accountant, and you didn't attend seminary to learn about software. Still, managing money is crucial for any thriving organization, which means if you're doing anything wrong, then you're risking the financial health and vitality of your church. Thankfully, our friends at Belay know this well. Belay, an innovative staffing solution with over 10 years of experience serving churches, has successfully matched thousands of organizations with experienced, U.S.-based virtual bookkeepers, virtual assistants, and social media strategists. And they are offering all of our podcast listeners a free download of their resource, Five Ways a Church Bookkeeper Can Transform Your Day, which shares the five most positive changes that will come out of hiring a bookkeeper for your church. So just text LIFEWAY to 55123. That's L-I-F-E-W-A-Y to 55123 for your free download. And if you do so, you will be one step closer to reclaiming precious time every week to do what only you can do. Now, back to the podcast. Well, the next question we want to ask, and it kind of goes along with what we're talking about here, is what is the main point of your main point of emphasis, maybe for your leadership team, maybe for yourself right now? Yeah, well, I think right now it's it's been kind of this a little bit of a heightened run. Um, and you know, I think it was, I think it was like May 8th, 2020. I felt like everything just got canceled. Um, <laughs> and just like overnight, I mean, weekends, conferences, I know stuff had happened in like 
uh, March where, where decisions were made to go online. But everyone was like, once we get back from Easter, you know, it's going to be fine. I think reality s- began to sink in. And so 2020, the weekends and the summer, the conferences, all that stuff um, overnight, I was like, okay, we're not doing it. Then it got moved to 2021 and out of scarcity, because I was, I had lost actual income, not going to teach. I was like, great, I'll do it all. But I had no idea when the book was coming out. And then you find out the book's coming out in right in the middle of this run. And I would just say that this has been one of the the craziest seasons of like work and it's all first world problems. It's all stuff I'd love to do. Um, and it's, it's amazing because you can have these, these principles and these values and these practices. And then all of a sudden you go through a season of three months where, um, you, you just feel like there isn't margin. And, and so I've, I've, I, what I've said is I, I've usually lived my life at 80% full with 20% margin. I feel like the last three months it's been uh, 99.9% full and there's just hasn't been margin and I'm not great that way. And I did it to myself. And it's, I think what it's, it's brought to the surface is, oh man, like that workaholism within me and just running to incredibly good or fun or amazing opportunities. And I think some of it was like my inability to say no. I think some of it was my feet scarcity. Um, like, oh man, is there, are we going to be okay financially? And just, just all of this stuff that I allowed myself to blow past a couple of like time boundaries. Um, so, so part of like what we've been kind of going back, uh, I help out at a, at a great church out in Rockford, Illinois called Forest City. And, and they just kind of started another campus in Elgin, Illinois. And, but we've really been talking through almost the spiritual formation side. And what are those ways and what, what we're working on? And again, a lot of the Dallas Willard vision intention means, but what's the vision you have for your life? How are you choosing to live with intention? And what are those methods and practices that are helping you embody that? That's been some of the stuff that from our team. And then how do you begin to, to show that on the weekend, train people in that and really unleash people to do that in their small groups? Um, that's been the stuff that we've been really processing over the um, last few weeks and months. So uh, I don't want to do uh, a complete uh, whiplash here, but I do want to make sure that we get to this question because I think it's really important for a lot of our listeners. When you look at what leadership in your home looks like, obviously two things have happened. You know, one, the experience of leaving Willow abruptly, moving your family to <laughs> from a very urban environment yeah, yeah, yeah. to the desert, um, the way your time management, you know, works, uh, you've just talked about, man, things really ramped up and I'm sure there was that season where, you know, it's Tuesday afternoon and, and you've got nothing to do or feel like you have nothing to do for, again, for a lot of our listeners who are pastors, church leaders, business leaders, again, you know, this time has been really interesting where their routine was set and their routine was uh, disrupted. And a lot of them are now spending a lot more time at home. Um, so if you would share with us, like what does leadership in your home look like? I guess now, but what has it looked like over the last, you know, three years? Like 
has it changed? Has it shifted? And, and, and how? Yeah. For us, like leadership, I mean, stepping out of such a traumatic situation, we basically had three values. One was I wanted to, I wanted to be healthy. I didn't want to go step into another church and then transfer my pain onto some other elder board or leadership um, because of just the betrayal and being let down. Um, so I needed to get well, but two, um, the, the four of us needed to get well. And like, how are we going to do that? And then the third one was um, we were going to keep creating beautiful things. We didn't, we didn't feel like we needed to go hide. We didn't do anything wrong in this per se, you know, like we, we were going to keep writing and, and preaching and coaching and helping. So those three values, I think were really, really helpful for us. Um, what I find is a lot of times, especially in moments of crisis, there isn't like, um, here's our true North. Here's what we're working on right now. Um, oftentimes we, for pastors and leaders, we know the vision of our church, but we don't have a personal vision. Our family doesn't have a personal vision. And so one of the things I'm always trying to say to help people is like, Hey, what's, what's, what's like God wanting to shape in you? What's the steps you are taking right here and now to grow in Christ likeness? How are you modeling that in your family? What does that look like? I would say, um, this season of three years has been the best of times and worst of times. Um, there has been moments where, I mean, we have been home, um, obviously with everything COVID in California, it's been a little bit crazy. Um, and so, uh, our kids, uh, I say California in, in Arizona, it's been a little bit crazy. Our kids have, you know, been, um, kind of homeschooled, like, and so it's been really, really fun for us. Like we've got a ton of time together. Um, but then there's been moments of just travel. And so I think for us, it's, it's constantly just trying to check in to make sure, Hey, how are they doing emotionally? How are they doing spiritually? Um, because their, their lives were, were just jacked in the move. And so just trying to walk well with them. Um, and then I think obviously recognizing, man, these last three months, I said yes to too many things. And how do we have to readjust going forward for 2022? And again, there's no map here, but we're learning, adjusting, learning, adjusting. And so every 90 days, we try to like look at the last 90 days and go, hey, what worked? What didn't? What needs to change? What can we do better at? And so this kind of the last 90 days have been a bit crazy. And we're like, okay, moving forward, it's got to be a lot different, if that makes sense. That's really helpful. Let's move to the last question here. And you mentioned, hey, you've been in ministry for over 20 years. But if you could go back before jumping in to your 20 year old self and, you know, tell yourself one thing about preparing to lead, what would that be? Just do your work. I mean, I think the the two two pieces on that one would be just yourself, yourself story work. Um, I I didn't know that I, I was was gifted and was given incredible opportunities. Um, and I was grateful that there were some pastors in my life who could see that my success was outpacing my character and started to like pull me aside. Um, but it, I wish I would have known that sooner. Um, and I think the second piece is, um, don't ever stop working on your craft. I mean, first Timothy four, um, It's just a beautiful passage where Paul just says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, teaching and preaching. Do not neglect your gift. Be diligent to this um, so that everyone may see your progress. 
And I think when you're in your thirties, people should see your progress in your forties. People should see your progress. Your fifties, people should see your progress. Um, I think for a lot of preachers and pastors at like 30, they just plateau. And I want to be a better communicator when I'm 70. Um, I want to be wiser, but I always want my character to lead the way. And so that's been some of the stuff that, um, I think, I didn't fully understand at 20 and I probably wouldn't have, even if someone tried to tell me, <laughs> right. but like, I wish I would have like grabbed a hold of that to go to counseling, make sure you have a spiritual mentor, do the hard work, but don't neglect your gift. Keep working on that as, as, and, you know, and putting your mind to that. Um, because if you can do both of those, right, you'll finish the race well, and you'll bring honor, glory to Christ, to the kingdom, um, in a way that just will move people in powerful ways. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and walking through the five leadership questions. And thank you for listening. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. You're going to want to go check out um, The Thing Beneath the Thing and pick up a copy because just as we've talked about, it is an incredibly important topic. So hope it's helpful to you. And uh, if you would, head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review so other leaders like yourself can find the podcast. And we'll see you next week. 